Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is October the 2nd, 2014. This is episode 1439 of the Survival Podcast. I'm bringing on the show today a prior guest, an expert council member, Gary Collins, creator of the Primal Power Plan and the Primal Power Method. But we're not going to talk much about primal nutrition today. We're actually going to talk about Gary's challenges in setting up an off-grid remote homestead. Uh, there's a project that he's part way into, and it's, it's a lot more complicated than a lot of people think it is. Instead of just hearing how everything works out, hearing how everything is in the beginning and all the challenges go around, along with it, I think might help a lot of people. We will then talk a little bit about his work with Primal Power. Uh, some of the new things he's got going on as an entrepreneur. We're even going to have kind of an in-depth discussion about dealing with haters and trolls, something I've struggled with over the years and kind of got a completely new take on, and Carrie's dealing with it now. And uh, you'll hear me advise him, and hopefully he can get through that stage of development a little quicker than I did. Uh, that's, that's I think, my... Uh, My hope for him is uh, sort of kind of a remote mentor, at least in certain areas of what he's doing, because when you've been through something, you can always help somebody else going through it. And uh, a little bit on entrepreneurship as a whole. So this is almost like a three-parter here, about an hour and a half long. I'll have Gary on in just a minute. Let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors first. Sponsor of the day number one today, JM Bullion. If you look out at the way the idiots running our economy run our economy, you will notice that the plan is very simple, to continue to make the dollar to be worth less. That is not a conspiracy theory. That is the plan. If you ask any member of the Federal Reserve, is the plan over any 10-year period to, 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 to use inflation to devalue the dollar, they will tell you yes. And then they'll make a very compelling case to you mathematically as to why that makes sense. If you don't think it makes perfect sense, then maybe you want to do a little bit of insurance on your wealth. Gold and silver are a good place to do that. I've been asked recently, what's up with silver, man? It's now like 16 bucks. I'm like, cool, I hope it goes to eight, because I will buy a ton of silver if it goes to eight bucks. Uh, I don't know if it'll go that low. Right now, I can tell you what's going on, though. Equities are hot. The stock market has a lot of confidence in it. It's probably going to run really well with a little hiccup around the end of the year, because we're going to go through an election cycle. The Senate's probably going to change hands or get very close to changing hands or be near deadlock, and... We're going to have uh, Christmas numbers that aren't going to look good for retail, off-site retail, but they're going to look good for online retail. How do I know this? I just do. And the market will tremble a little bit, but it'll, it, it's going to roar back. Uh, we are in a very much of a uh, bull market right now at the market. And when that's going on, people that have money, large sums of money in things like silver ETFs, take the profits that they earned and they move into equities. That's why silver's down. Uh, so that's when you buy. If you bought at 50 bucks, I'm sorry. Should have done that. Uh, but I'm not saying buy a ton right now, but this is a good time to pick some up. Jam Bullion's a good place to do that. Gold's retricked it a little bit, too. Uh, when I buy my silver and gold anymore, I buy it from Jam Bullion. Great pricing. I can talk to the president. Great supporters of the show. And if you spend over 300 bucks with them and you're an MSB member, you get a discount. You spend over 1,000, you get a bigger discount. So check them out today, jambullion.com. Next up today, Western Botanicals. You know, we got the guru of primal nutrition on, Gary Collins, today. Uh, I guarantee you that uh, Gary, much like me, believes that you should stay away from pharmaceuticals as much as possible and only use them when they're necessary. 
And that's because Gary used to work for the FDA. So he would know how bad it really is. Uh, anyway, I use Western Botanicals for all my herbal needs. They're real people that really care about you. If you need some help and you can't figure out what you want to do, pick the phone up, call them. They will help you out. WesternBotanicals.com is the website. If it's herbal and legal in the United States, they have it. And it's either organically grown or wild crafted. They also have a, a premium membership. It's 50 bucks a year and you get 25% off everything. Uh, all TSP members, all TSP audience listeners can get it for 25 bucks. Just use the banner on the website, thesurvivalpodcast.com, and it'll lead you where you can pick that up and get a big discount on everything. Or join my MSB and guess what? You get that thing for free. So you get a $50 product for free as a member of the Support Brigade. Check it out. And uh, if you use herbals quite a bit like we do, 25% is no small discount. Check it out today, westernbotanicals.com. Next up, let us look at the year that was the episode. The year, 1439. I got two for you. The Gutenberg Press Changes Everything and the Beginnings of a Professional Military. Wow, these are both great. These are both great. These are both things that actually change the tide of history forever. So picking one is hard. I'm going to pick Gutenberg just because, well, I'm reading print, and uh, it's the first one. Because it's still, I have to flip a coin here almost. But uh, you guys can read the beginnings of a professional military, which is quite insightful, at the TSP Wiki for the year 1439. Here we go. The Gutenberg Press changes everything. The actual date varies as to when Johannes Gutenberg introduces his printing press. He's been experimenting for a few years, but what makes his press unique is the movable type. Rows of characters are placed in the wooden forms backwards and rolled with thick ink. The wooden form is then pressed against the paper, thus is born the printing press. It will change everything. Most books are printed by hand and will, with some being done with carved wooden blocks. While Gutenberg is limited to printing one page at a time, he can print quite a number of the same page and do so quickly. Bulk printing reduces the cost per book, so he can sell more books for less and better quality. The exception is books with custom art. Uh, And my take by Alex Shrug, and Gutenberg wasn't even thinking about EMP strikes, electromagnetic pulse that will kill your Kindle. I own 12 bookcases filled with books. My wife was complaining, so I tried the Kindle. It's light, inexpensive, and has a pleasant screen. I like it, and I visit Amazon.com almost every day looking for ebook bargains. Yet it's still, I, st I still visit bookstores. Why? A lot of my reading is done when electronic devices are not available to me, and I remember what is in a physical book more reliably. Ebooks are easily searchable, and there are advantages to both. I don't think I could do the history segment without searchable books. Nevertheless, I read over 100 books a year, most of which are hardback books. It was good for you, Alex. And I think part of why there's times when electronics are not available, Alex, has to do with his religion and his uh, the Sabbath and things like that. I'm not sure, but I'm guessing that, uh, which I understand. And that's, I guess, one thing that will keep printed books in in you know going um but i'll tell you what the, the, the ship sailed here okay you, don't worry about emps destroying your kindle please um really seriously um but what you're gonna see over the next five years is ebooks readers tablets becoming more and more user-friendly and more and more to where they're better than the real book experience. In some ways, they already are. In some ways, not so much. But so much is already... I mean, if you look at the original Kindle eBooks from like 2007, 2008 to today, 
that's far more readable, far more flexible. It won't be long before electronic devices are such that you won't want a printed book unless there's a specific reason. It's not available electronically. It's old and collectible. Uh, it's some kind of very special book. Or you have a reason, a lifestyle reason for it. And you will see printed books basically become what record albums are today, which is, yeah, they still have them. They still have them, and people still love them. But, you know, when's the last time you saw a dedicated record store, let alone a dedicated music store? Right? Digitizing music changed the world. Uh, that's absolutely the case. So that's one thing I wanted to point out with this. The other thing was that when we make communication more portable and more accessible to other people, we create greater liberty. One of the things that happened when Gutenberg did this is an entire series of reformations and revolutions occur over the next, you know, 500 years. Seriously, it's, it's, it's amazing what this unleashes. It, it's, it's quite possible that without this type of innovation and the ability to, to print something like Thomas Paine's Common Sense that the American Revolution may not have occurred. The Founding Fathers actually wanted the people to buy in to the Revolution before they declared it. And, and Paine's Common Sense was a big part of how that was done. Now, how many of those can you hand write? Okay, it's a simple pamphlet with, with simple printing technology. You can make a lot of them fast. So the whole world is shifted by this with people beginning to realize that the guy that stands here and tells me what to do doesn't know everything. That's really what it's all about. That's what the Internet's done. So the, the question then becomes, what can we do with the Internet with new platforms to further liberty? And what is the next evolution in communications? And people might look at the Internet and go, how could you get past this? I mean, this is, I don't know. I'll tell you what, in... Uh, In 1960, uh, the concept of getting past electric typewriters, high-speed printers, uh, books, etc., and expand and telephones, telegraphs, and I mean, it was how could we get past this? TV. I mean, at that point, people thought we had reached a real pinnacle. Well, the thing is, those were still very centralized means of distribution with tight controls. If you wanted to print a book, even in 1980, you had to go through this gauntlet of gatekeepers. Today, you can have your own book out tomorrow. That means a lot of books come out that aren't very good books, but cost nobody but the author money to put out a crappy book. And that means a lot of books that would never see the light of day, a lot of thoughts that would never see the light of day, get out in book form. They also get out in ebook form. They also get out in blog form. They also get out in podcast form. Um, There's a reason that you see such an encroachment of totalitarian tactics today. It is literally this beast of totalitarianism freaked out that it's losing control. There's an old movie. Remember, it's like the it's like the, the old new Robin Hood movie, right? Um, the one with uh, what's his name in it, uh, Kevin Costner. And there's at one point the sheriff says something to the effect of, I will not have the entire feudal order undermined on my watch. Something like that. And that's what was going on at that time, right? That, that this concept of lords and only certain people could do certain things and royals and this whole hierarchy was being torn asunder. 
And those in control reacted with violence in an attempt to increase totalitarianism, and it led to more blowback, greater communication, greater organization, and faster reform and revolution. I think that's where we're at today. We're crossing a precipice, so stay encouraged. My thoughts by Jack Spear. All right, folks, and with that, I want to welcome back to the show uh, expert council member and community member Gary Collins. Hey, Gary, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jack. Hey, we've had you on to talk about your mainstay, which is health and nutrition and the, the primal lifestyle. But we're going to talk, I guess, kind of the primal lifestyle, but not really about the health and fitness stuff today. We're going to talk about your new world, your, your, your off-grid world that you're trying to create for yourself. Uh, but for those that maybe have never heard you on TSP before or have only heard maybe little segments on the expert council of you, can you give people the, the few-minute elevator speech? Who is Gary Collins, and how the hell did you get into the world of – living off-grid and teaching people about nutrition, and, well, frankly, why the hell should anybody listen to you? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been in health and fitness pretty much my entire life. Uh, I've played athletics since the age of seven. Uh, I was in the military intelligence uh, side. I was a federal agent for 11 years. The last part of my career was with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Food and Drug Administration, and that's where I learned the primal or ancestral health slash paleo, there's a bunch of different terms to go along with it. And that's kind of where I learned that my paradigm was upside down as far as how health and nutrition works. And that's what got me into it. I started investigating some people uh, that were more on the naturopathic end, the ancestral health. And I kind of read it and I went, well, a lot of this stuff makes sense. And I was older and I wasn't feeling very good. You know, I was in my late 30s, mid 30s and all the things were catching up to me, and so I started implementing this lifestyle, and I started feeling better, and I ended up uh, leaving the government and going on my path to teach people what I had learned, and that's where the Primal Power Method came about. Uh, it's basically my philosophy and how I put the pieces together and to teach other people a simplified view because health and nutrition for anyone today is just a web of disaster. I mean – there's so much information out there that it get, becomes very confusing. So that was my whole goal was to simplify everything. So I, they, people didn't have to go through what I went through. And with my background, I'm the only guy in the whole health genre with my background. So I think I, I lend some much-needed integrity to go along with it. Um, I don't come across as a rubber turd salesman like a lot of other people do. <laughs> That's the goal. And, uh, you know, people understand I could be doing other things for income. I don't need to do this, but I'm sure. passionate. It's my life. But I have a twist to me, too, because unlike a lot of people in this industry, I grew up in a small town of 1,800 people, 100 people in the mountains in California. People have a hard time believing that. But it, it was an isolated, small little town that was ranching, farming. Um, you know, I grew up working at rodeos and the whole bit. You know, I was a little redneck. So, yeah, we were talking off air, and we were saying that uh, people think of rednecks as coming from Texas and yuppies coming from California, but there's 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 rednecks in California and yuppies in Texas, and there's actually quite a few of them, and they're they're not hard to find. You just got to know where to look. Yeah, and it, it's where the area where I live is actually where all the gold mining back in you know 100 plus years ago, all this started. It was always a very small ranching area. Until L.A. sucked all the water out with the aqueduct, which is a huge mm. controversy. I'm sure you've heard about that. 
Well, sure. that's where I live. They t- they're taking all the water from where I grew up. Um, otherwise, it was lush, green farmland. It was beautiful. Now it's dry, desert. Yeah. So, yeah. So I grew up fishing, hunting, um, living that kind of lifestyle. You know, run around with a pair of shorts and you know my uh, Converse Chuck Taylors, no shirt on, running around like a banshee all day as a kid. And you know, I'm kind of going back to my roots. And about seven, eight years ago, I started looking for a remote property. And I was looking for something different. I wanted something not in California because I'm from here and it's all screwed up. And I, there's a whole host we could go into that. <laughs> but I wanted to get away from that and kind of get to a place where I could have my own space, hunt fish on my own land if possible. I can't fish. I don't have water. Um, but I can hunt. And so that's where it started. And I started evolving this whole process. So I'm a little different animal in this health world. I'm a little more well-rounded, I guess, is a way to put it. And as you've, if you've done this, you, you've done what many of us have, have tried to do, which is to follow your passion toward a point where it would provide enough for you that you could live the way that you really wanted to. And that's led you to this, I guess you'd call it a, a real-life, real-world experiment in off-grid living. So you have this off-the-grid project. What's that all about? Yeah, and, well, I've written my books on – I've written them on health and fitness before. So this was kind of like a natural progression. You can only write so much of that stuff. So I'm all, well, I'm doing this anyway. Well, I'm going to write about it. So I'm documenting everything too. Um, but, it, it, yeah, just it was my passion, and that's where it comes from. And I think we, we both teach that. You know, if you can do what you're passionate about and make a living off it, it's really not work anymore. Technically, it's not work. You know, and that's the beauty part of this off the grid project is I'm trying to turn it into complete self-sufficiency. Um, and I'm going off the grid because two facts. It's really expensive to run power to my property. It's $80,000 to run power. So I said, meh, I'm not rich. I'm not going to do that. And second of all, it forced me into, I wanted to try living on solar and wind and see how sure. it goes. You know, why not? Why do I want to pay a power company anyway? I really don't want to. Um, well, and I mean, if you look at it that way, too, so solar can be quite expensive, but you could put in a hell of a solar system for $80,000. You can put in a damn good one for oh, 10. I could power right. my whole neighborhood. You know, all my neighbors, I could power them as well. So well, even if you were going to, if you were going to pony up that kind of bucks, and once you, like, the reason you don't, the reason you don't go off grid is when you, when you go, well, how much is it to put grid electricity in here? 500 bucks? Bring it. Right. But once that number gets to a certain point, the independence that comes in, then you're in a great climate, too. Right. Like so off grid is much easier in a northern climate than a southern climate. You can burn stuff to get warm. But when it's 115 degrees, uh, it's a lot more difficult to deal with. You have to go with earth earth contact structures and stuff. So you're up there where you're in the Pacific Northwest. You have a pretty mild climate to work with. Well, I'm on the east side. I'm above Spokane by the Idaho border. Okay. So I picked that purposefully as well because it's more the climate is less rainy, cloudy. You have more sun. Sun comes out. Sun yeah. comes out. Yeah, <laughs> it's colder in the winter, obviously, but I'm in the forest. I mean, I've got enough wood on 20 acres to burn for the rest of my life without any problems. Um, and I picked. I mean, I thought it through, and I think that's one of the things that I'm going to teach now. I have been teaching about is you have to have a plan. If you try and go in off the grid and live in a remote property without a plan, you're going to fail. If you think you can just throw up a cabin, you know, cut down some trees, 
and poop in a hole, good luck, I, I tell people, because things have changed so much that people do it. I have neighbors that kind of do this, but there's so many regulations now, even up there, that you're asking for it. So I'm doing it all right. Everything's permitted. Uh, I'm following all the proper procedures. So also when you sell it, you got to look at it as an investment. You're not going out to escape to be the Unabomber and hang out in a shack. You're trying to live a life. So you want to make it at least somewhat comfortable. And so I have a well. We drilled a well. It was 520 feet. That was hmm. 20 plus thousand dollars. See, and that's gotten so much more expensive to do, too. I yeah. remember I don't we didn't put it in, but the place we bought in Arkansas had a well that was in the 600 foot range. And the guy had like 7,500 bucks into it, which is yeah. expensive, but it ain't 20 grand. That's that's wow. Well, that's everything. That's getting the pump hooked up. I got a very efficient, high, uh, you know. Oh, you're on a solar pump, too. Yeah, I have to use Oh, yeah, pump. okay. So that adds price to it. Yeah, but, Yeah, I mean, it, it's tricky, but I got lucky. I get three gallons a minute, which isn't a ton, but my static was at 265, and they couldn't measure it correctly. So they knew it was actually higher. So I've got more water than I ever need. I mean, you're not going to burn through that much water unless you're just <laughs> dumping it out in your yard. And I'll use rain collection and things like that for, uh, uh, you know, for any gardens or anything I put in. But even that will be low water flow. But it's having that plan of I went up there, bought the property. But the first question, like you've talked about on your show, is I went, okay, is there water here? If I don't have water, this is a high-priced camping site is all I've bought. So I, I was surrounded by lakes. We checked it out, you know, the wells that had been drilled. We knew water was there. We just didn't know how deep. That was sure. the question. So we got lucky there, and it worked out well. But people think they can skate all the building codes. Um, with Google Earth, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> I kid you not. They, when I went into the county office and we started looking at my uh, site plan to put it together and submit it so I could start getting things permitted, yeah, they pulled up a picture of it right there in front of me, and there it is. So if you think you're going to put a non-permitted structure up and do things on the willy-nilly today, you're just dreaming. Um, and why would you want to put that pressure on yourself, you know, to get hit with a $10,000 tax bill or something down the road that you can't pay? Yeah. You know, and then they can take your land and all your structure. And with that, I tell people with what I'm doing, you got to look at it as an investment in the sense that what happens if something goes wrong and you have to sell this property? And I've seen this. I looked at many properties just like this. If you put an unpermitted building up or other structures, you don't have septic or you, you know, you piggyback or put together some hodgepodge Mickey Mouse septic. Well, when someone goes to buy that, it actually devalues your land. Sure it does. And they can't get financing on it either. Nope. You can't finance it. You can't do anything. So with what I'm doing, I've already talked to the real estate system. My property is going to be over double what I paid for what I put into it. Because mm. I'm doing it right. Yeah. So I can sell it and have an escape route if something ever goes wrong. And I, and that's a, I guess that's one of my, my specialties, though, is I'm a good planner and organizer. And that's what I'm trying to teach people in going this. Because I think there's a lot of information out there. It's just sell your house, throw your crap out in the yard, light it on fire, and go live in the woods. I, I think it's also really highly dependent on where you're at. So where you're at in Washington – um, there's a, apparently a lot of permitting even out in the sticks. Yep. In my state, if you're unincorporated, there's nothing. There is 
Okay, you need a permit for a septic solution, which doesn't necessarily have to be a, a septic system. It has to be a valid septic system. Okay. And then once you have that, you can you can build a house. And you can even build a house just if you do want power. The power company won't bring you power until you have the septic solution signed off on by the county. Once you have that, you can do anything you want. But you know what? You bring up a good point. You still have to be thoughtful about the way you do things because you may not be able to sell it because most people don't walk around with a quarter million or half a million dollars in their pocket. Yeah. So when they go to buy a property, they do have to get financing. So it makes me think of when we looked for a property and found the one we did, we found another property we wanted to buy south of here. It was gorgeous, Gary. It was seven and a half acres. You looked at the kitchen and the kitchen, the guy probably had $70,000 into the kitchen. Oh. Uh, the house with the seven acres and a pond and all this stuff going for it, sold for, I think it was 216 was the asking price. And we're like almost sight unseen. Yeah, we want to buy it. Well, it was a geodesic dome house. Oh. And it wouldn't appraise. So we could not get financing for it. Yep. And that's why the price had been driven that low at that point, because no buyer could get financing, because no appraiser would appraise the damn thing, because they couldn't find anything comparable and this place was amazing, and I would have been happy to buy it. But so, I mean, when you're building something like so, it makes me think of like you know how we get on the government all the time for like doing stupid shit like going into wars without having something called an exit strategy or plan, right? <laughs> or a plan, right? And that's a very valid criticism. But when you're making major commitments in your life like you're talking about, you too need an exit strategy. Absolutely, and I, I thought it through. I bought the property a year ago. And instead of jumping right in and trying to get a bunch of stuff done, I came back and I still had my, you know, my place here. I work here. And I said, I'm going to put a, get together a plan, but I could afford the lot without because I had to pay cash. I paid cash. I didn't want to okay. finance it. Um, I got a great deal, too. I bought it for half of what it's worth. I just right place, right time. And that's I've gotten a lot of questions on that, too. How to find a, a lot. I tell people it takes a lot of work. I mean, sure you just does. can't go out and find – it's really hard to find a good secluded lot today because they're all gone. All the good ones have been sold. So you got to be creative, and you got to know the locals, and that's what I did. I went into a small town that was 30 miles away from where the lot was. I talked to the local real estate agent. He just so happened to live in the area where my lot was, so he knew of this lot. Mm. And most people couldn't get to it because real estate agents didn't know how to get to it. So it was just sitting there, and like I said, right place, right time. But I'd also spent seven, eight years looking at lots all over the country. I mean, any time I went on vacation or I was somewhere for business, I would go out and look for lots. It's, it's amazing how difficult it is when you're living one place and you're looking in another. Yeah. Even if you're going to move there full-time once you find it. It took us nine months of hunting to find the house we have now because we were living five and a half hours away. It's, I think it's something that people really aren't in touch with when they decide, I want to get out of here. I want to walk the freedom, as I call it, and yeah. go somewhere else. And they'll take a vacation for two days yeah. to look around an area. And it just it, it gives you – I'll tell you what it does do for you. If you, if you, if you instead of like hanging out at the mall, if you actually get in the community a little bit, you get the vibe of the place and you know – these are the kind of people I want to be around, or this is not the kind of place I want to live. Yeah. But you ain't going to find 
anything in that short period of time. It's just, it's like a, uh, it's like a scouting mission in the military. You kind of go out, you see it, you come back and you say, now I'm going to plan a real invasion, right? Just to go spend a few weeks there and really immerse myself and see if I can find something. It's difficult and it's, it's not easy in that remote model. And the other thing that's not easy is once you start developing it, I'd like you to kind of talk about what, sure. what kind of, you know, difficulties have arisen in, in your project both just because some stuff's hard to do or expensive, and then how is that compounded with being in California and doing work in Washington? Well, the, the, the irony is a lot of people from California have moved to this part of Washington. Hmm. That's where all the regulations have come from, they say, the, the locals say. <laughs> they, they say, you guys are screwing it all up. Luckily, uh, luckily, I'm from a small town, so they, they actually like me, but there's a lot of people from California they don't like. Because um, they go up there and they just mess everything up. But this has only happened in the last, like, 8 to 12 months. So if that, I that, that makes before, me crazy. So yeah. many people leave a place because they say, I, I don't like where I am anymore. And then the first thing they want to do is change it. It's change it into what they've left behind. Yeah. And, and, and I saw people there. When I was there, um, you know, building and doing my stuff, people were coming. I stayed in a hotel in the beginning until I found a place to rent. And I saw people from California come in. I kid you not, this couple comes in. The guy's wearing his bedazzled California jeans that I never have gotten. I don't understand dressing like a woman wearing woman, women's jeans. <laughs> He's got, they've got the real, rear wheel drive 5 Series BMW in the mountains. And they're going to the coffee shop every morning, getting their, you know, lattes and everything, not even changing their ways. And the owner of the hotel just laughed, goes, Yeah, they're not going to make it. And that's kind of the attitude. They go up there completely unprepared, not knowing anything they're getting themselves into. And then they screw it up for the rest of us because they make us look bad. So I had to spend a lot of time, and this is a good lesson too, is you better get to know the locals. And you yeah. better play nice with them because if you don't, they're going to screw you. Um, as you've heard, we've all heard, there's the local price, there's the out-of-towner price. Yeah, yeah. And I think another part of that too is like, don't make your life harder than it has to be. So find out if the things that you want to do are considered doable already. Yeah. And don't go somewhere where you're going to immediately have to have a fight to do something you want to do, like let's say own a chicken or something like that. Um, and I have seen people who have done their due diligence, were told one thing by government, and then another once they try to do it. But in general, most people don't find that stuff out. And if you're making this major investment and major life change, then it really – the due diligence needs to go further. So like when we bought our place up in Arkansas, when we were looking at it, we heard one of the neighbors up the road, you could tell they were target shooting and the real estate agent kind of cringes a little bit like, is, or is this going to be okay? And I'm like, this is perfectly acceptable because if they can yeah. do it, I can do it. Yeah. Um, you know, and she goes, I never know if that's going to be good or bad for people. I'm like, well, you could ask. Um, and then the other thing is you should tell me whether you think it's good or bad anyway, what's going to be going on around here. And I find, I don't know about you, but I found you can find a good real estate agent, but it's harder than finding a good property. Yeah. My first real estate agent, that's a good point. My first real, real estate agent was an idiot. Um, I had to fire <laughs> I mean, he, he was giving me the out of town lots that were garbage. Yeah. And I finally, and then, you know, his car broke down his piece of junk that he picked me up in one day. Um, and, uh, yeah, we broke down for two hours, and he told me, whispered to me, goes, oh, God, the cops are coming up. Be cool. I went, oh, come to find out the guy's actually been arrested for fighting with cops in the past. Oh. Yeah, and how would I know? 
got yeah. a real estate agent in a well-respected, you know, real estate company. Well, come to find out his father-in-law owned it. No wonder. And that was part two is I ended up with the wrong guy. I thought I had the right guy and I didn't. So I went to the real estate agent in my little small town where I was staying. Boom. Just like that. We found the lot the next day. That's how yeah. lucky I was. Yeah, and, we've had great ones. We had one lady that we used to sell a house. She sold our house before it was officially listed. Oh, wow. For full price. That's we cool. had another person that we got an offer that was ridiculous, and she wanted us to counter. I'm like, it's too low. There's, and I ended up having to do her job for it. It's, it's a mixed bag, you know, and even if you get referrals. So I think one of the things you have to do with real estate agents, though, is what you did. As soon as you know they're not right, you have to fire them. Yeah, I fired them. Get rid of them. They, especially when you're looking remotely. It, it takes so much time and so much commitment, and as soon as you figure out you're dealing with an idiot, you got to get rid of them. Well, and not only that, but the lots that are, are remote and what you're looking for, a lot of times aren't listed in, in MLS. Yeah. They're only listed by, you know, for sale by owner. So you Some have to got a sign out at the street, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. You have to have an agent. Like five cars go down a week. Exactly. And that's how mine was. There wasn't even five cars a week. There was probably a couple cars a year. Hmm. So no one knew of it. And yeah, it, it was tricky. Well, luckily, I didn't go into this willy-nilly either. I, I've had my real estate license for about eight years, and I've dealt and I've owned houses, apartments. I've owned multiple lots. So I wasn't a complete dummy going into it, and that's honestly what saved my butt. If you're a rookie and you're going into this, you can get taken. I mean, you can really end up with something that is unbuildable because I'll show you this beautiful view. Well, there's no access road. Yeah. It's on the top of a hill, so you've got to build a plateau in it. You're talking a hundred grand worth of dirt work before you've done anything, and then you don't even know if it has water. Well, and what I've seen also with people that are doing owner financing or paying cash is a misunderstanding of the value of real estate due to geographic arbitrage. So, you know, when I I just left Texas for three years and moved to Pennsylvania, and then I came back only three years later, and I had to readjust my whole mindset as to what a three, four-bedroom house on a half-acre of land was actually worth. Yeah. Because it was worth so much more in Pennsylvania, so much so that when I got my loan for that house, you love this, Gary. So I go and I buy this house for like 130 I think we paid for it, because houses are affordable in Texas. I had sold my place for over 200000 up in Pennsylvania, and the mortgage company was alarmed that we were buying so much under the house we had just sold. I had to write a letter explaining why, because they were like, is this a sign of financial trouble that you don't have as much money as you used to or whatever? And it was because we sold a four-bedroom house in Pennsylvania on a half-acre lot, and they sell for 220000 So we bought a house just like it in Texas, and that's what they sell for here. You would think a mortgage company would know that, but if that kind of confusion exists, a person in California, especially yeah. like somebody that's like an L.A. native, doesn't really have a sense of land values in Washington no. or Texas or Arizona because the property costs so much less there. It does. And see, I was able to negotiate because I understood property values and the difference and that was living all over the country. I mean, I've lived And you had money, right? So you had the cash. That's I had the another cash. thing, right? Yeah. So it's hard to sell raw land because it's not as easy to get financing on it. No, especially really remote. Uh, you know, up there, most of the lots are done on these kind of uh, contracts, but they're real sketchy. Um, I mean, you can buy land up there. This is how crazy. I just found this out because I was having problems with the neighbor. 
um, that's what you get too. You have to be careful where you're living. Um, is they bought it and they didn't even know their social security numbers. You can buy land up there with just your name. Hmm. I had no clue. And it, cause it's on a contract cause you don't own it. You're going through this company that owns it and they're all, well, just fill out the paperwork. And there's, I, cause I called them and I said, Hey, you know, this guy, I heard he might have a warrant. And they're all, really? And I go, you have a social and stuff, right? Why don't you call it in and find out? And they're all, we don't have any of that information. And I went, huh. I went, what? They were able to buy the lot and they don't even, yeah, it's bizarre. So when you get out remote, things really start to change. And I decided that I was going to do this cash only. I'm going to have to borrow, but there's ways you can do it. And this is what I learned from the solar company, Backwoods Solar. By the way, they're in Backwoods Homes. They advertise in there. Okay. Super, super nice people. They specialize in remote. And I can't uh, recommend them enough. They don't do the installation, but they can get you to people. And real quickly, my, my solar is only going to cost and wind is going to cost a little over 10 grand. That's it. Hmm. And it'll power everything I need. So solar's come a long way. And if you're doing it right, you're not a power hog. It's pretty easy, but I'm lucky too. I'm, I'm in a good climate. Yes. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just, there's so many variables going on. You got to kind of do your research and I, I recommend people kind of inch into it. Get out there and kind of figure it out. Uh, my project's going to take, just to get the house built and everything done, at least two, three years. Okay. You know, and then I'm going to finance it in a way, this is what people do with remote properties, which I had to find out, is if you do everything right, get it permitted, get your owner occupancy certificate, which you need, you go back to the local bank, which I've already talked to and already have everything established. Well, what you do is you get a home equity line after the fact. So you mm. put everything on your credit cards, which I don't recommend if you don't have to, but this is how people do it. And you finance it through the credit cards or through cash, you know, interest-free checks for your credit cards that you don't have to pay interest on for like a year. And what they'll do is they'll wrap, they're used to this, so they'll wrap that credit card debt into your home equity line, and then that's te technically your loan. So you can't borrow against the house because the house doesn't nope. exist, but you can borrow consumer debt to put a house in no. and then finance the house once it does exist to effectively pay off the credit card debt. Yeah, you have to have everything built and have your owner occupancy certificate yeah. done, and then you can go get the equity. Because then you truly have a house. You truly have a house. But and the house technically has no debt, so yeah. uh, a bank a bank prefers of all debts to have debt leveraged against real property because they know it's easier to get their money back on than any other form of debt. Yeah, and what what you do with that, too, is, yeah, I didn't know this. It made sense to me once they told me. I went, oh, God, that's really easy, because you can't finance an off-the-grid house. People have this misconception that you could just go do this willy-nilly and finance. You can't. No bank is going to finance a property that doesn't have power run to it. Yeah. So if you go solar wind and no power, that's why you see a lot of off the grid houses that have power run and they use solar and wind or or uh, hydro, but they only ran the power so they could get financing. That's the for the construction, thing. right? Yeah, because and you can get a loan on a on an off grid property once it's once it's done. Yeah, once it's it, done, it's trying to get the financing for it to complete. Yeah. The, the the build, so to speak. Well, it's even very difficult to get any financing far as standard home loan. That's why you have to use the home equity line. Um, that's like the 
the way to get around it? Because I even called banks about financing it, doing a construction loan or some way to gap it. There was I called all over the country. I tried using my VA benefits. No one will no. Touch. No one will touch it. No, VA is great for buying June and Ward Cleaver style houses. Yep. That's that's what it works for. And it's useful for that. And I bought a house using VA and it had to be a normal everyday house. You can't even buy an ag zone property on VA. Yeah. And, well, they would have done it if I would have ran power, believe it or not. Yeah. Well, then it's different. Then it's a ha- See, it's the, it's the mentality. Okay. Now it's a house. It's square and it's connected to the grid. So now it's a house. Yeah. Anything else is not a house as yep. far as underwriters are concer- concerned. Well, and when, so you yeah. got to be careful there. Just I'm like the anti debt guy, so me too. You got this delta. You got to be really careful with. Well, and I, I'm, I've been debt free for quite a few years now, and but I'm realizing to get this project done and not drag it way out, mm-hmm. that I basically have to go into debt for a year and a half to two years, not a long, big piece. Sure. And, and I, trust me, I hate doing it. I don't want to do it. But I also had to buy a bigger truck. Because up there I had a Tacoma, which worked partially, but I couldn't tow anything. I could sure. just didn't have the power, so I had to go and get a truck. I had to get a Tundra again, which I've owned in the past, and I had to go back, so I had to finance that because I needed a newer one. And just the way it all worked out, but I'll pay that off in a year. And That's what I mean. You have to be flexible if you think you're going to get this done. And if you're trying to go debt-free, you better have a big wad of cash saved up. Because it's going to cost. I mean, this is going to cost probably 20% more, 25% more than I anticipated. Well, that's what I'm financing. And it always seems to cost more than you're going to plan. What I've learned with properties is the the more elevation change it has in it, and the more remote it is, the more it costs to develop it. And the less you'll pay for the land, but the more you'll pay to make the land what you want it. And I don't care what you're developing it to do. It will remain constant. So developing something to do one thing may be less expensive than developing it to do another. But if we're going apples to apples and I've got a flat piece of land that's, that's, that's moderately remote or a steep piece of land that is extremely remote, it's going to cost me more to develop the second one. Well, I had to, I had to spend money right out of the gate. I had to spend six grand getting a road fixed and getting a road up there. And even with that, we had to get a dozer. And I got the. Uh, you couldn't have done that. Only government can build roads. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> and I got lucky on that too. That the power lines, major power lines, run through the bottom part of my property, so there's easement roads for the okay. power company. Well, they redid and spent probably fifty, sixty grand redoing that road, which leads to my property. Otherwise, I was looking at way more money to try and get the roads fixed. So I got lucky on that. I only had to fix probably a two hundred yard stretch and cut in a new road. So I had to do that first. And that's, you make a good point. You know, the more high you up, more incline. Like I said, we had to drag the drilling rig up with a dozer because it wouldn't make it. You know, we couldn't get the drilling rig up to do the well. It got stuck around the second corner. So I had to go get a guy with a, you know, it was D4, D5. Had to get it up there and drag. I got it on video on YouTube because I, all my, I got seven YouTube videos showing what I'm doing. And it is amazing to watch us drag that thing up. If I couldn't have dragged that thing up there, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah, because you ain't gonna you ain't gonna put a 500 foot well in with a shovel. No, and <laughs> and that's part of people have to understand too is there's risk to this. You you're not gonna go into it. It all works out. I had to completely remap things and rethink things as we went along, so I had to adapt. 
No, I had to figure out. We were almost to the point I kept getting septic quotes for a pressurized system, which anyone who knows standard septic and pressurized, there's a big difference in cost. It's like triple. Yeah. So because I have granite about 18 inches underground, you have to have six foot basically to put in a standardized system. Mm -hmm. Well, we kept hitting granite everywhere. I feel your pain, bro. I got limestone. Yeah, well, same thing. Deep, right? Yeah. Same thing. And the, a couple local guys kept going, ah, nah, you're going to have to put a pressure system in. I'm all, ah. I went, I don't think so. I went, I, I just don't buy that. I know there's a place around, around in the general building area that we can make work. Well, I get a guy who, who does septic and he mainly excavates and he gets up there and he goes, oh, yeah, digs three desk, test holes. Done. I saved 10 grand by being patient and doing my due diligence and doing my research. See, and the beauty of that isn't just that you saved the money and didn't spend it. It's that now that, that eventually when you do spend that 10000 it can do other things for you. Because you've yeah. got like this long-term time horizon, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I mean. Even with that, I went over budget. But the, the well, I, I over-budgeted it, what, 30%? And it doubled. It was over double what my max budget was. Hmm. You're not going to see that coming because you don't know. That's what, I tell people, that's what I'm trying to kind of emphasize is if you're going to do this, there's a lot of unknowns. And no yeah. one's going to be able to tell you how it's going to work out. Every property is different. No one knows until you get up there and you start working it. So, yeah, I mean, with that, a lot of stuff went very smoothly. Uh, you're in small towns. Uh, my biggest town in my county is 2,100 people. And that is the town I'm attached to. So they're really nice. They've been really helping me out, get all the paperwork done correctly. They've been navigating. I get to go in there and sit down, and I talk to the guy who's going to you know, basically okay my plan. So that's the difference, though, is you're going to have one-on-one. -on -one. It's not like California where you're in line for eight hours. And the person really doesn't give a shit whether you get what you want or not. That's, that's the big problem. Um, bureaucrats love procedures more than they love results. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's 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 a fundamental reality there. But I think what you're saying is dead on that, like, no matter what you think you're going to do, plan on it taking more work and more money than you thought it was going to take. But that doesn't mean to get, you know, unmotivated and not get it done. So as you look at this, what are what are you thinking for a house? What kind of size? What kind of configuration? What kind of technology? Well, I am a minimalist. Um, I live in a little 400, 500 square foot place right now. I've downsized about four and a half years ago. Um, so I'm going to build – it's pretty cool. I found these plans in Montana that a guy built, and it's based on a Forest Service lookout because I have these amazing views. Sure. I have these 180-plus views of lakes and you know mountains and valleys. So I said I'm going to you know, make this a view place. That's the whole point, to relax. So I'm building a two-story, 800-square-foot house. Uh, the upper deck is basically all windows for views. Um, it's going to be solar wind for our, you know, for our electricity. And it's as far as any tricky building, not really. We're going to use two by six framing, um, to get the extra insulation cause it's cold. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's pretty standard. Um, it's got a steel roof with an overhang and a deck. So that makes it a little complicated. We had to get some special engineering done on the trusses. Um, but yeah, it's just a square. It literally is a 20 by 20 square two story. And I went simple because, first of all, I'm out in the mountains. I don't need to build some behemoth that is all fancy. It's, it's just a place to live and hunt and hang out. 
Well, and like the the one thing that like really starts making you size square footage of a house down is being off grid because yep. heating and cooling and 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 powering a house as the house gets bigger, the requirements get bigger. Because heating and cooling air is the least efficient method of thermal control. So the bigger the house, the more air you have to have to deal with. Well, luckily, like I said, it's pretty temperate, so air conditioning isn't a big deal. I'm not going to have no, to. You're have not, you don't need it. You, don't yeah. need it. But heat, yes, but I'm putting in two wood-burning stoves, one on both floors. Uh, but by code, you have to have a backup system. So you have to have some sort of other heat source. Huh. Well, for off-grid... Thank you, government, because I could just never exist without you. Without government, who would tell us what we have to do? I don't know how to light a fire. I'm dumb, you know? And and it is, but... So you have to... It's probably because of the Californians. Probably someone died because they couldn't figure out how to start a fire the first winter. (laughs) You know, that would be my guess. Um, But uh, you can buy these... They're self-contained heating units that run off propane... But they're ductless, so you don't need any ducking. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, you just cut them, you put them in the wall, and that suffices. That covers you on the code. So, like, just a couple kerosene heaters wouldn't work? <laughs> no, no. Trust me. I had all kinds of good plans as far as yeah. I'm not going to do – I'm going to put one stove in. I'm going to do this. I'm not – yeah. And yeah. Yeah, like, all got thrown out the window because you're, you're, you still have to apply to building codes. I mean, you just can't willy-nilly it. And a lot of it's funny that you ha- that when you're using wood for heat, you, you're required to have a backup heat source. But when you're using electricity, which we all know never fails, you're not. It's, I mean, if you think about that, that is, that is an example of people regulating that which they are ignorant of. Because th- th- you couldn't come up with a more ridiculous concept than that. We see far more people living on grid suffering during uh, a storm. Then we do see, I mean, off-grid people don't care. I remember, uh, can't think of his name now, the guy up in Canada I had on the show years ago, um, you know, there had a big ice storm. And he lives off-grid, his neighbor lives off-grid, they're way back in the sticks, and a huge ice storm came, shut everything down, and he said, uh, a guy from the sheriff, whatever they call him up there, Mountie or whatever, comes to the door to do like a welfare check to make sure everybody's okay. So, you know, he knocks on the door, and it's about 8.30 in the morning. It's freezing out. The guy showed up in a snow machine. And uh, he opens the door, and he's in a bathrobe, and he's holding a cup of, like, steaming hot coffee. And the guy that's on the snow machine is wearing goggles, and this goggles fog from the heat coming out of the house. (laughs) And the guy goes, well, I know this is going to sound completely ridiculous, but we have to ask, is everybody okay here and dealing with the storm all right? And the guy's like, you might want to come in and warm up, dude, because it sucks out there. I mean, they didn't even care. Yeah. But they're telling you, you have to have backup pr- protection for your own good when the people that are living down in town don't have any backup whatsoever and aren't required to. That's- no, no. And, and who, who's geared to survive that situation more, the guy living remotely or the person who's How the Indians yeah. ever survive, Gary? They didn't have yeah. backup heating. They had, they had teepees and wigwams. Well, yeah, I mean, and I mean, it, it is dangerous, don't get me wrong. Um, they've told me, I mean, I I could see it. There's If I'm up there, I'm not planning to stay the first couple winters up there for sure. this reason, is I've got to get the lay of the land, and i got to figure out my access. Can I get in and out of there? How is it going to work? I have a pretty steep incline for my, my uh, road coming up. You could easily flip right off that road 
and get killed. So I got to figure out if that road's workable, even plowed. You know, there's a lot of, you know, things I got to look at. And if you get stuck up there for a month, you better have everything working right. You know, you better actually understand what you're getting yourself into. And that's what I did, too. And I mean, the last part was building my security fence. You know, I didn't build around the whole property, but I had some theft. Sure. I had a guy, some dummy went up there and ripped off stuff off the drilling rig the first night it was there. So what do I have to do? I have to put in a security. There's five more grand. You know, that's yeah. what we're planning for, and it's just to keep these yahoos out of there and buying cameras and, you know, setting it up right. And that's the other things you got to look at, too, is you're out there all alone. There's no police officer going to help you. You know, it's going to take them bare minimum 30 minutes to get there. Bare minimum. More than likely. Oh, yeah. You're lucky if you see them in 30 minutes. If you, Yeah. And that's the other part is you have to adapt to all those things that you're used to don't no longer exist. You are your law enforcement. It sounds a little renegade, but you truly are. You know, if someone steals something from your property, honestly, I called them and they didn't even come up to take a report. No. So who did it? I did my own little investigation. I made yeah. it very clear if I see them on my land again, there's going to be some problems. I got a great one for you, okay? So this one place that I visited, real rural area like you're talking about, and somebody was stealing gas. So they had a, a, a some equipment that they would use, and they had you know gas in cans so that they could fuel the equipment up without bringing it all the way back in. Very and every common. once in a while, a gas can would disappear. So the guy that's like the caretaker of the place goes, all right, fine. So he dumps a pound of sugar in a gas can, <laughs> right, and just leaves it sitting out there. And, of course, it disappears, and then everybody knows who does it because the guy whose car or his old pickup truck had his motor seized up. From, from the sugar and the gas, well, it's him. And I actually had somebody one time say to me, well, that's a really dirty thing to do. Oh, my God. What? You, yeah. you have no worries about that ever happening to you unless you come steal my gasoline. And, you know, that, that's actually pretty harmless compared to some of the things that I've heard done in, in some rural environments. Oh, yeah. I mean, my dad was a bootleg coal miner. I'll, I'll let you take it from there in your own mind as to what yep. kind of stuff gets done. And my my grandfather was a, a bootleg coal miner and a bootleg whiskey maker during Prohibition. So, you know, they, it gets kind of hairy there. And there's still some guys out there that remember how to do that stuff. So you got to be careful when you go mucking around with things in, in these, these, these communities that people, I think, I think a lot of people in this audience go, duh. But a lot of people that do what you're talking about move up from your area and don't have any background like you or I do at all. That's probably why a lot of these would seem like stupid safety regulations do exist to protect the stupid from themselves. I mean, that's the majority of the reasons most regulations exist are to protect stupid people from themselves. Well, yeah. And, you know, with that, I, people coming from like Southern California going up there, they probably think, oh, everyone, no one's going to steal my stuff. And it's like, no, actually, there's probably a higher chance because they mm-hmm. know you're there. It's very easy to know when you're there and when you're not there. And there's a lot of people. I mean, you're talking when you get down to, into the more remote areas, there's a lot of meth. There's a yeah. lot of issues. There's a lot of people that are really poor that, you know, hey, they see you bringing stuff in. Well, hey, you're not you're not from here. I'll take it. If you pay attention really quickly, you figure out what type of rural community you're in. Like so when I was at Ben Falk's place in Vermont, I ended up really quickly figuring out this is a place you probably didn't have to worry about theft. And here is why I went to this little store before I drove up to this house. It was like a half a mile down the road from them. And I got a rental car. 
and I get out, and you got the key fob with the uh, automatic, you know, thing to lock the car. So you know what you do. You you just in the habit of it. You know, I lock the car. So the car, the horn blows when you lock it. You know, beat yeah. right. Everybody in that parking lot was clearly a local, and they all looked at me like I was freaking insane. Yeah. Like, this guy's not, and they were like, he's an out-of-towner, right? Because no one there locked their vehicles. I would still lock my vehicle, but that immediately told me that this is not an area that experiences a lot of things. And I think there's a lot of that situational awareness that when people move to an area, you've got to broaden it beyond just, you know, I talk about it all the time, like when you're putting gas in your car, don't have your headphones in, things like that. Leave your wallet in the car, use your card, put it in your front pocket, stuff like that. You got to get beyond that when you're trying to find a community. Like things like that tell you what you're dealing with. If you're in a place where things are routinely stolen and there's some shifty characters and you've got a drug culture, there's things that will tell you that that if you just look, you'll see them. And if you're in a you know a, a, a freaking Mayberry clone, which is apparently where Ben lives, there's things that will tell you that too. Like I'm telling you, you could just look at those people like they were like. Who the hell is this idiot? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Locking his car to go in a convenience store. You know, it's like you're parked right outside the door type of thing. Like, <laughs> even if you would lock it on the street or whatever, like, you're going to go in there, you're going to grab a pop or something and come back out. You don't lock your car for that. You yeah, know? in Southern California, you would never not lock your car. Sure. That. You lock your sure. car when you actually sit in front of it. You know, it's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's a totally different mentality in what – for me, as far as my experience growing up in small towns and living in real small towns, that if it's a place that you can afford, especially today, I've noticed there are plenty of lots that I could have bought for, you know, 150, 200 grand, but I can't afford that, you know, yeah. a lot. I can't, you know, I could, but I'd never be able to build on it, you know, for a long time. Um, even those places, I mean, it's just the way this country is right now. You can't escape riffraff. They're everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's everywhere you go. There's someone, you know. There's always that guy that's cooking meth in his tub. I mean, it doesn't matter. So if you think you're going to escape and get out there and everything's going to be perfect, I think you're dreaming too. It's every place has its problems. You know, it's just different problems is all. You know, and yeah. and as I went into it well prepared, I kind of figured, you know, I'm out pretty remote. There's going to be some goofy characters out here. And, you know, they're really nice. Once you get to know, know everyone, you know, it's just a couple bad apples here and there. Um, yeah. Actually, I don't want to use bad apples, do I? I no. Don't want to use that concept. That's a sore spot. With yeah, me. I know. I think you're actually using it in the proper context, right? <laughs> Not using it in a law enforcement context. So, so, so what are your – what? well, and I think that's an interesting thing we could have you back on to talk about someday. Is under, uh, I've seen a lot of people now saying that they didn't really understand how screwed up things were when they were in law enforcement until they got out of it. And, well, and now they can see it. it. Yeah, but I don't. I don't want because we'll go down this whole rat hole. I want to stick on your property. But um, so, what are your long term plans beyond the house, the the off grid nature? What do you, do you want to permanently live there? What do you want this place to look like five years from now? Um, I'm debating. I'm kind of holding out on the living there full time. I'm gonna bounce back and forth. My family, all my friends live in California, so you know I don't want to just go up there and isolate myself. But I'm gonna try. I'm getting ready to move into my travel trailer um, and live in an RV park, so that'll be a nice little experience. Um, and do that here, so I can be, so I can go back and forth when I want, mm. and not waste money on rent. Because um, that's what I did. I just paid thousands of dollars for high price storage. Yeah. 
I did, and I did, but I didn't know. The reason I had to do it was because I didn't know. I went up there, and I had to come up with the plan as well. I had a plan going up, and I knew it was going to change. I just didn't know what it was. Hmm. So I got back, and now um, I want to build – I want to you know, make it into kind of a retreat too. I want to make it into a, like a teaching how you've done. I want to yeah. bring people up there and show them how I did it, how the solar works, how the system works, how I put everything together, how I built the house because um, just me and a contractor. That's all that's building all this stuff. Um, besides, obviously, I didn't drill the well and stuff like that. But I want to be able to do, um, you know, put in some, you know, greenhouses and try and grow all my own food and try and sustain myself. And I want to kind of teach people that, about that. So in the next five years, I want to live up there full time, but I don't know if it's practical. I just don't know yet. And that's another thing, you know. And if I can do it, why not? I got the travel trailer. It's not real big. But it's just me and my dog. So I figure live in the travel trailer while I'm here and then spend the majority of my time up there working on everything. Sure. Um, I think it sounds pretty good in theory. I mean, we'll see. We'll see how it all goes. I think one of the things you'll start to realize is maybe you need to involve someone else or other people because it's it is the very case that that which does not seem like a big job when it's one person rapidly becomes one, but many hands make light work. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of people interested in learning this stuff, and they, they're looking for access to, to, to land, to, to develop skills. Your listeners already hit me up. They hit me up the last time I was on. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I told them, I, and I've had other people, and I go, hey, just let me see what I'm getting myself into first and see where we're at. Luckily, I, didn't, I found a good contractor, too, who specializes in building stuff on his own hmm. with, with basic help. I mean, he built my power shed, which is a 12 by 10, all by himself. Hmm. I was building the fence. While I was doing the fence, he was building the power shed. Um, so he's used to doing stuff on his own, and that's another thing. You know, It makes it more affordable when it's just me and him. I, you know, It's easier to do, but that's takes research too. You got to find a guy and you, he was recommended by someone else who I knew. So yeah, I mean, it, it's tricky. I would like to get some more people involved. My problem right now is I just don't know when I get the house going, definitely going to probably start hitting some people up. Um, definitely when I start doing, uh, you know, the greenhouses and start planting some crops and doing well, see, that's the key, right? So you yeah. almost have to have enough done to attract people that want to come help because People don't usually want to build it out of, like, the granite of the earth. They want to come and work on something that's functional. We're learning that with permaethos, that, yeah. you know, you have to get the, the, the cart before you bring the horse in, you know. Well, they don't, right now they don't have a place to go to the bathroom. They don't have a place to yeah. besides a tent. And another thing is you don't want to sleep in a tent up there. I've no. got two bears that roll through there. <laughs> I've got a mountain lion. I've got moose. <laughs> I mean, they roll right through the center of my property. I've seen and stared at the moose five feet, you know, right in front. Of me. I didn't see him. He took off, and I scared the living crap out of me. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, seeing, you know, stuff, like, it's just not safe, and it's yeah. not done. So I tell him, let me get the house and get the, you know, get the well hooked up to the house and get some sewage in, and then let's kind of figure it out. But for sure, you know, I plan to build, uh, you know, a garage slash workshop where people can go and I can teach and, you know, and, and do like you've done, you know, bring them in and, and have them uh, learn what I've done. I'm no expert in it, but you don't, you, you got to learn it somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I think that one of the biggest problems we have today is people think they need to learn everything before they teach anything. 
And I think that actually prevents you from learning. Like I, when I when I work with people and, and, and help them do anything and they say, well, how long should I do this before I teach? I'm like, tomorrow. Because you're not going to teach everything, but you'll teach what you know. And you'll learn more from your teaching than you will from from your studies, let's put it that way. Yeah. And that is, you know, you, you shouldn't go out and try to teach somebody how to build a bridge if you've never built a bridge. There's there's limits to that thinking. But if if I teach you how to how to build a garden, you may not be a master gardener, but you can put a basic bed in. And as soon as you start teaching it, you'll actually reinforce the knowledge and learning, and you start developing systems and expanding on what you already know, et cetera. And that's the key. Is uh, uh, you know, I've hammered that people out there teaching what they don't know. Yeah, teach what you know. There's nothing wrong with that. Just don't go outside that scope. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, I'm lucky. I've had two houses built. Um, I've done construction. I've done some of this stuff, so I'm not a complete amateur. Um, I think last time some guy got on the, the on your comment section and blasted me for telling people to know what the hell they're doing before they do it, and I'm talking about doing off the grid and not knowing it. I'm all, dude, I've done a lot more than you think. Yeah, you're not writing the definitive guide to off yeah. living, though, right? No, and well, when I was up there, this this fits right into that point. Is the locals have come up? The guy who's uh, had to come up and approve the septic. I asked him. I go, Have you ever seen anyone doing what I'm doing and ever you know inspected? He goes, Absolutely not. He goes, I've been doing this 20 plus years. You're the first guy who has come up here and is doing everything the way you're doing it. That tells you something right there. I mean, the guy who's from the area does the inspections for the septic and has seen hundreds, if not thousands, of houses built. Looks at me and goes, no, I've never seen anyone do it this way. Well, shit, now now it's completely blown. You know, I thought I could rely on the locals to help me out, and they're going, you're kind of on your own. Yeah. You know, this is pretty odd even out here for someone to go and go off the grid and doing it this way. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And they're all, no, no, we've, so yeah, you're kind of in that position. That's why, that's why you got a sweet deal on the land, Gary. <laughs> no, that's exactly why. And cause, cause the only thing anybody could get through their head was bringing in an electrical line and that's 80 grand. No one saw the potential. Yeah. And I did. I already saw it. Like I said, I knew that by having places built in the past, by living in the mountains, by growing up using a well. You know, using uh, you know the old septic leak system and tank, so I knew all that stuff. I mean, I knew how it worked. So going up there, I went, eh, it may not work, but I'm pretty sure it'll work. And that's the thing; you will never know for sure. And the people you're going to ask, they're not going to know either if you're doing something that's outside of the norm. How, how does this all kind of dovetail in with the the stuff you're doing? Like you've got a new book coming out called The Organic Caveman. You've got a new show called The Primal Show. Are, are you kind of taking this to uh, a point where um, this is all becoming more of a lifestyle uh, thing than just a, a niche thing that you're doing? Yeah, it was always uh, – the Organic K-Man's been out. Um, it's out now. Um, that is a different book than my original one. Um, but, yeah, it's turning into a lifestyle, and that's what I always intended it, but it takes time. You know, when you talk about a whole lifestyle – in teaching what I'm t- trying to teach, you just don't do it overnight. You know, mm-hmm. there's all these steps that go to it, and there's things I have to learn along the way. And that's the whole point of what I'm doing. I just don't want to be a one-trick pony. I'm in this because I want to change the way people look at life and be able to change it. I've, I have a famous saying. I say, a healthy uh, athletic asshole is nothing but a healthy asshole. 
You know, why, why do I, you know, that's not the point of what I teach. I want you to be a good person and I want you to change your thought process, not me telling you how to do it, do it on your own. And then you teach the next person. You know, I'm not here to teach everyone. I'm trying to teach what I know, my piece. And that's what we were talking about earlier uh, before we came on is you teach your whole piece. I teach my whole piece, but yet it's funny how they all integrate together. Well, and I think that, that we're we're moving into what I consider to be a basically an evolution of society. As as much as I pick on people for being stupid, not everybody's stupid, and people are beginning to learn, and people are beginning to realize that that, that true teachers drag their students along a road of discovery, where even the teachers learning at the same time, but the yeah. teacher has the initiative and the willingness to take the risk and, and make the mistakes. So that the student can participate in the journey, not the stu- the teacher takes the entire journey and then is blessed by some institution and is given a piece of paper and then comes back and says, I'm now qualified to teach you. That, that people are bored with learning that way, that oh. you learn by doing and you learn by doing with people that are somewhat knowledgeable, learning as they go. That accelerates the whole thing. That's why... That, that's exactly how people teach in permaculture. My, you know, my idol in permaculture is Jeff Lawton, and he he's the guy that got me in the mindset of your students should be teaching the next day, or you're not doing your job. And, and the, the modern teacher is afraid of the student teaching because they represent a threat yep. to this this knowledge base. Where the the evolved teacher understands that the only purpose of teaching. Is truly to create other teachers, and that's all. Yeah, I've made it very clear. I mean, what I've put together the the biggest, I guess, uh, complaint I get is I've made things too simple. You know, mm-hmm. I make it easy for people to follow, and that's the whole point. You know, a lot of stuff out there is so complicated because they want to sell you the next complicated piece of crap and keep you guessing. I don't want you guessing. I want you to figure it out, and then you can go on and teach it to someone else. And then it continues this chain, and, you know, we've talked about this as well, and, and obviously your group gets this very well. That's why I love being on the show and, and your followers, is that it's not about – it's about making change and making everything a better place. It sounds kind of hippie, you know, rose-colored glasses and all, but truly that's what I think we should be doing as humans. I mean, why do you want to live in a crappy city where everyone's miserable, everyone's shooting each other, there's riots, there's traffic? And you're in an education system that teaches you absolutely nothing besides be just part of the system. There's more to life than that. And I think people eventually get it. I hope most eventually get it. But I think that's what we're teaching, right? Is Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned like the hippie thing, right? I don't have a problem with the, 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 the part of the hippie message. Part of the hippie message is everybody get along. Yep. You know, everybody share. Sharing, by the way, only occurs between equals. That's the way I look at it. If if one person has strength and is taking from the other, that's no longer sharing. But I think I put it like the best the best way I've ever heard it put was with Paul Wheaton, and he said, "There's two types of hippies: there's productive hippies, <laughs> and there's non-productive hippies." And I get along with productive hippies because they get some things right. And looking out after each other is is one of the things they get right. And what I always try to reinforce with people is that when society calls somebody crazy or third rail or or what have you, tries to basically belittle what they're saying, it is generally because they cannot surmount an articulated fact-based response. Now, sometimes that is because the person's batshit crazy, 
And when it's batshit crazy, it's batshit crazy. But th- that's become like a catch-all to, to, to get people that are going outside the norm to shut up, right? Well, you can't live without carbohydrates. You won't be able to take a dump. Right. That's actually that is actually an objection to primal paleo diet. And it's like, where the hell do you even get this? And, you know, well, the doctor says, well, I don't care. The doctor has like five days of health classes in eight years of of becoming a doctor and two years of residency after that. They don't know shit about health. And, and you get sidelined with that. So we have to be careful. We don't do the same thing when we yeah. look out at somebody and say, well, they're a hippie. Because I've been called a hippie. I actually figured out this is how I know I'm a libertarian. If you've ever been called a hippie, a liberal, a Nazi, and a Republican all in the same day, you're a libertarian. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think people look at me and they don't know what to think. You know, They, they don't know where, where my political uh, – you know, uh, vision lies, and, and and I agree with you. And it's I deal with this stuff on the health side every day, and that's where the Primal Show actually evolved from. Is we wanted to get the message out, and I do it with Heath Squire. He's the CEO of Julian Bakery, and the reason we did it was we just got sick of the the bad message uh, out there, and people were kind of relaying a lot of false information and kind of getting away with it. So we said, heck, let's, we're going to do our own show. We're going to do it our own way. We're going to interview all the people that they never interview. And we're going to use it as a place for people to go to kind of get clarity on the paleo primal lifestyle and lifestyle in general, because we're going to start venturing out further and further into the whole lifestyle change. Um, but people right now are just trying to focus in on the basic elements of health and exercise. But yeah, that's where that all came from. There's no better way to reach the masses than to get it out as far as you can. And don't get me wrong, you know how it is, Jack. You get these people that just oh, come in and just bash the living shit out of you. You know, and this is like the biggest thing I've had to try to teach people that I mentor is you can you can tear apart stupidity wherever you see it. But don't bother tearing apart your competitors, your direct competitors, because it never works. It never helps. Yeah. Uh, you're better off keeping your messages positive. I've got a guy right now that I'm talking to that wants to do something in the same vein as what you and I do. And he's a person that's very specific to pointing out everything that's wrong. And I'm like, if you take that approach you're not going to have the kind of success you will if you just point out how to do it right. And it's, it's, it's something that human beings struggle with because if I, had you, if I said to an average person, yourself included, stand up in front of me, put your right hand up, and I take my hand and I put my palm to your palm and I start to push your, your palm. And I, and I told you first, do whatever I say. You would probably start to resist as I push. And I'd say, well, I never told you to resist. We just have this this response mechanism in us, and if if we can get past that, that's how you get great things accomplished. And that's not like some peacenik hippie thing like we were talking about earlier. That is a philosophical and reality-based way and a a psychological way that actually makes your message more receptive. I, I dealt with this at a, an expo where a guy had a different kind of rocket stove, and he asked me what I own. I told him I have an EcoZoom, and he, he's crapping on the EcoZoom. Well, I've owned the thing for two years. It works great, right? So yeah. I'm not interested anymore. 
And I even kept trying to tell him, like, stop telling me what sucks about the thing that I have that I already like. Don't even tell me what makes yours better. Just tell me what makes yours great. And he could not do it. It was impossible for him. He could not disengage. Now, he kept saying, like, the thickness of the metal and it burns out. And I'm like, I don't even want to talk to you because I had the damn thing for so long. I've used it more than most people ever will. And I don't even care. I just want to know what yours does. And you can't tell me what it does without shitting on this thing over here. Well, and it's a fine line, especially in, in my genre. There's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And I've gotten into it. I've gotten into battles. And I've had to go after competitors. And it's, uh, we've learned to pick and choose our battles. Because uh, there's some products that are so bad, actually, we just targeted a really bad one that was completely mislabeled and false. I mean, it mm-hmm. was awful. Not even close. It considered it called itself paleo, and it, there, it had grains and legumes in it, and yet it's still calling itself paleo. It's called the paleo bar. And we're all, that's not paleo. And so we went back and forth with them. And, you know, it, it, and that's what I try and do, too, is uh, just pick my fights. It's uh, We get attacked, and... There's a whole undertow of bloggers, and I know you deal with bloggers, and mm-hmm. all network market through all network marketed through our competition, and they send them out just on our social media and everywhere just to harass us, and it's such a dirty tactic. You know, I used to, when I used God, to do that, that I used to, to to fight it and all, and you know what I do now? I freaking ban your ass. I delete your shit and I ban your ass, and I don't have time for you. I've learned that. I've learned that. I've started doing a lot of that. They've got. Just so you understand, like, so now we've kind of almost shifted into a little bit of like a business discussion here. I'm not telling you I did that in the beginning or that I figured that out right away. It was just over time. I'm finally like, you know, I have too much good shit to do to deal with ass clowns. I don't have time for them. You know, I'll still bash somebody across the head once in a while, but in the end, you know, you have to stick to your core mission. Yeah, it's not worth your time. They've gotten smart, though, and I don't know if they do this to you, but they lure you in now. They've done just happened yesterday. Lure me in with a legitimate question, a legitimate health question that they need help with. Yeah. And then as soon as I answer and reply to it, they come back and show all this research on why I'm wrong and I'm full of shit. And then it turns into this argument. And I'm like, I fell for it. I went, oh, my God. I've I've fallen for it so many times, dude. And I've gotten more and more, like I said, delete. Yeah, as soon as I see this. your ass by IP. I've done shit where I'll take people that are really a pain in my ass. And like I had one guy that was consistently saying I was a a shill for the CIA. So I set my server so that when he came in from his IP, he would redirect to the CIA website. Oh, that's beautiful. You know, and I had another guy that was calling me and giving me a bunch of shit to my 800 number. So I have selective forwarding where I can forward you from that number based on your dial in number. So I forwarded his ass to the FBI help desk. So yeah. when he called him to mouth me off, he got the FBI help desk. And I'm, I need to use some of those tactics. And, you know, I, I send a general message out, and I'm going to talk about Because then they go – you see, the thing about that is yeah. and then they go away. Well, and you know what my attitude is? And what we've done, too, is we just go – I say to people, I go, you know what? If you're sitting at your computer 12 hours a day in your underwear hammering my blog and my social media – you're yeah. a loser, and you yeah. need to figure that out. And if you're going to bash me, just take a look at yourself. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't help you. I mean, if that's where your life is at, what can I do? You know, I just ban you. <laughs> and yeah. then you, 
go on and you start bugging somebody You go else. bother somebody else, right? Because yeah, I'm looking at you resistance. It, it took me years to figure it out because you're passionate. You're the same place way I am. You're passionate about what you do. You care about the truth. You want people to know it. And then when somebody attacks your integrity on top of it, then you're pissed, right? Yeah. And you should be. But at the, the same time, you have to realize that, that the people attacking you, the only reason they even have a voice is your platform. Yep. So deny them your platform. It's taking the bait. And then when they tell you, because this is what they'll tell you next, I guess you don't believe in free speech. I completely believe in free speech. I will defend, even though I think you're an asshole, I will defend your right to free speech. But you do not get to use my property to further your free speech. And it would be the same as if I came to your door and spray painted Gary sucks on the front door of your house and said, if you take that paint down, you're denying my free speech. Nobody would expect that. So this is my blog, my platform, my YouTube channel. If you want to further your agenda, go develop your own platform and see if anybody gives a shit. And they just might. And by the way, even though we completely disagree, if you get to the point where people give a shit about what you're saying, you'll no longer care about what I'm saying because you won't have time to. Yeah. And it, took me, it took me a while. There's a guy named Jake. Uh, that emails me a lot uh, from another podcast. The guy that works with no agenda, and he's like, he sent me this thing. This this it was like a YouTube video, and it was a guy basically just saying all this stuff. And I'm like, you know what? Yep, that's it. And I I've, I've kind of really changed my tactics to do that, and I think it works better. Sorry about that. I had to think my dog was jumping on something there real quick. Okay, that's uh, all right. But yeah. Uh, it is. I know we got off topic, but I think it's yeah. a good topic because I know that a lot of my followers, I'm sure a lot of your followers, are starting to get into this as far as the entrepreneur thing and starting their own websites and blogs. Mm-hmm. I think it's good information. I mean, I, I learn off you because, yeah, there's times when you, you have these days where you're all, oh, my, why do I do this? Would these people yeah. just go away? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the tactics they use, and it is uh, the best advice you just gave. And I'm learning block them. You just block, block them. Well, because you're dealing with ideologues, right? So an ideologue has no concern for fact. They only have a concern for their agenda and their emotional, illogical position. So you cannot. It's like trying to negotiate with a terrorist that has a bomb strapped to their ass that's willing to blow themselves up. If you, you know, you have a law enforcement background. So like, if you had a dude in a in a bank, right? And there were two banks with a hostage situation, right? And and you were going to go out and negotiate with them. And I said, you can have either one of these you want, Gary. One has a guy that's a terrorist with a bomb strapped to his ass, and the other one has a guy that wants money. Which one do you want to negotiate with? Exactly. You go no, the guy that wants money. You can talk to him. Yeah, you know, he's not an ideologue. He he might be a scumbag, but he has he has a logical thing that he wants, and he's basing it based on the real world, even though he's doing it the wrong way. The ideologue doesn't give a shit about the facts, and so you're in this paleo world, which means you know the, the horrific crime of killing poor little animals and that's destroying polar bears and uh, so the people that are going to resist that they're doing it completely on an ideologue wavelength so it doesn't matter jesus christ could appear before them and say gary's diet works and you should try it and they'd go no right so there's no way they're gonna listen to you or me so you just gotta get rid of them yeah well and you know on the off the grid stuff it, it's interesting to see how the different 
groups, uh, off the grid stuff, now everyone has been fantastic. I don't think I've had any issues at all on that side of the house. And, you know, everyone just wants to learn. You know, they have really good questions and they're not trying to bait me into some weird discussion. And yeah, so it's, it's nice to get away as well from the health stuff every once in a while. And not only to develop it, but that off the grid project is going to help me expand what I already do and be better at it because it gives you a place to get away. And that's what I look at it as. It's a place where I can kind of recharge, get away from everything, decompress and put out some really good content and teach people. I mean, that's part of why I'm doing it as well. It's not just about me. That's not why I, all why I did this. I mean, obviously, that's the initial part. I'd be full of shit if I told everyone, oh, I'm doing this all for you. No. No. Yeah. No. Come on. I'm not going to blow smoke up someone's ass like that. No. You know, I mean, but I think there's uh, a lot of people who are going this direction where, where you've gone and now I'm going. And I think it's good information for them to understand that Gary Taubes told me when I met him, he goes, be prepared for when you get in this business, people are going to hate you and say horrible, horrible things about you. And I looked at him and went, no, doing that, you're, you don't matter. Yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, that's, that's all. Of the, if you, no one attacks anything you do, you're not doing anything that's, that, that is radically changing the world for the better. You cannot radically change the world for the better without pissing people off. It seems ridiculous, but it's true. Well, and if you go to the people who are doing it wrong in any type of uh, business or like what we're, you know, a life transformation or lifestyle change, you'll catch it right off the bat. The people who are doing it wrong have a ton of negative comments. The guys who are doing it right have some. And that's the biggest thing I've noticed. Um, there's, a, there's a line where it goes, the bad ones get a lot of bad <laughs> you know, comments, and the guys who are doing it right get a mixed bag, more yeah. or less. You know, yeah, you can't come out of this unscathed. There's just no way. And everyone today is a, an expert. Everyone thinks they know everything. So you're really never going to win. I mean, I've had people tell me how wrong I was about, you know, being in law enforcement, and I'm all, were you ever in law enforcement, in the military? And they're all, no. Then why are you telling me? Yeah. You know, sure. Well, I, I'll tell you, like, a perfect example of this right now, dude, is, like, oh, everybody's upset because Obama saluted uh, 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 it was a Marine or a, an airman. I'm not sure which. Yeah, it was a Marine, I believe. It was, but he's getting on his plane, right? So yeah. I know Marine One's the helicopter. I guess he has a Marine guard even for the Air Force plane. Um, so he salutes him with a latte, right? And the people that are the most upset about this, they're never in the military, they don't know jack diddly shit about this. So I posted a picture the other day and said, before you get upset about this, check this out. And it's, it's Bush with his freaking Scotty dog, right? Holding the dog in one hand and trying to salute over top of the dog. And it's like, this can't be what you're worried about right now. There's so much wrong yeah. with our government, with our military policy, et cetera. And you're offended by this. And you don't even understand that. When I salute you in the military and you're an officer, it is customary and expected that you return my salute, but you are under no obligation. I'm saluting your rank, not you. Yep. Right? Yep. So the people that are pissed off about don't even know how that works. And that's so true in so many things where people get polarized in these emotional things, and they don't even know what they're upset about. They think they do because someone's told them to be upset. Well, yeah, and you'll like this. I, I, I heard about it. I didn't know. I haven't had cable, t cable TV or TV for five months. I got rid of it, and uh -huh. uh, I've decided I'm better off without it. 
I'm trying to see where I'm going to go with it. Um, I'm a big sports fan like you, and I thought I would have a lot of issues, and I'm not. So I'm noticing that I'm going to have to let this experiment go longer. But I went on, a, I think it's on Yahoo, and watched it, and I went, yeah, that's a pretty stupid salute, but who yeah. cares? You know, in the military, how many times as an enlisted guy, because I was enlisted and an officer, and enlisted, how many times did you give a half-ass salute to a superior? I did. Well, and I would say I, I probably got a lot of half-ass salutes oh, back more right than now. I gave, right? And yeah. here's the thing. Okay, the guy's the president of the freaking United States of America. He might – I mean, I'm not supporting this guy at all. I am totally opposed to the way things have gone under the Obama administration. Wasn't exactly a fan of Bush either. But in the end, I will acknowledge, okay, this guy's the president of the United States. He's got a shitload going on, and every time he gets off or on an airplane, there's a camera pointed at him. Sooner or later, you're going to run into something like that. I'm sure that you at some point were carrying shit or something, and, oh, crap, here comes a captain or a colonel, and you're fumbling and, and trying to get it out. And you were in the military, and you knew what to do. Obama's never been in the military. He's the commander-in-chief, but he doesn't have a military background or military discipline. But while we're bombing children, people are worried about that. And, and that's just... If there is a better example of how mind-numbingly retarded the American public has become, I, I can't point to it this second. Well, and a good way to uh, – good way, even putting my off-the-grid project, leaving Southern California and going up to this small place, it even made it that much more obvious mm -hmm. how stupid people are in certain areas. And I think it's in the metropolitan areas for the most part that it seems to be worse. Not to say that small towns are special, but I went up there and it was like a huge decompression because everyone there was nice and everyone I had to deal with for the most part in a professional setting knew their job. It's that's really for that's us. refreshing. Yeah, it was really refreshing. I went, okay, I, I picked the right place. And I think that's part of what we're trying to teach is, you know, we've all been brought up through the education system and through mass media to basically be idiots, to be drones. How do you break out of that? How do you stop being, you know, someone who acts like a fool? You know, Obama did what he did because he didn't know better. I mean, honestly, I mean. Well, I think what actually happened there, again, I hate to ever sound like I'm apologizing for this guy, but I think he okay. came off the thing. Somebody probably handed him a coffee because he's the president. If you want coffee when you're president, it's, a, it's like, remember the old, uh, was it uh, the History of the World with Mel Brooks? It's good to be the king, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, if you ask for a coffee when you're president, one shows up in your hand, and you're coming down off the plane, and oh, crap, and, you know, the right thing to do, switch hands, stop for a second, and salute. But again, if you are the president of the United States, you have about 400 million things going on in your head. And if you're an incompetent president, which I believe we have, it's worse. Right. So you had Reagan that had the one page memo. I don't think Obama could condense anything to one page. So you got a guy that's an incompetent president with a coffee with a million things going on in his life, figuring out which place he's going to go play golf next. I don't think that was a direct insult to the military. I think that was just incompetence being exemplified. And let's face it, if it was a habit, if it was something he did all the time. Well, you'd have as many pictures of him doing that as you do have him playing golf, right? So we, we know he plays more golf than he renders sloppy salutes. So it, it's not – and again, I think it's like I'm going down the rat hole too far myself here. The whole point is not to get sucked into this crap. And what you're learning from your, your, your separation is what a lot of people were saying in the show I did a couple of weeks ago about turning the news off. TV, great, but at least shut the news off. 
for a while. And the guys that said they see the most degrading uh, concepts in the intelligence of people and how fake all this stuff is are the ones that went over to Afghanistan or Iraq or something and by just by sheer environment did not have access to this stuff for like two years. So when they come back, it's like when you leave and you come back and your garden grew. And since you weren't watching it every day, you actually see the difference. Yeah. They come back and they're just like, holy crap. And and they know how far it fell in two years, if you know what I mean. So I think you're seeing that over a few months or a few weeks, and it's dramatic. It's very dramatic. And when I came back here, you know, you have to even change the way you think of people and how you react in public. But what it, what it's done for me is I would say it's made me grow in the sense of I just don't let shit bother me. I mean, I get upset like everyone else, but there's just it's just not worth it. And to not get bombarded. And to allow yourself to be manipulated, because that's what you're being. If you're watching all this news and reading all this crap, I mean, honestly, what does that salute have to do with anything? That's affects does it affects you, right? So that's my first rules. Anything. Does it affect you? Yeah. Is it in your circle of influence? No, you don't have time for it. No, it, but, it, but it shows what a jerk he is. Okay, did you did you think he was a did you believe that he was a great president and a great guy the day before that happened? No, then it doesn't even affect your opinion. No, my opinion. All it did was reinforce your opinion, right? My opinion's already been developed on what I think of him. Yeah, um, I don't need any more evidence of how big of an incompetent moron he is. I already know that. Got it. You know, and I agree with you, Bush. I'd form my opinion on that, too. And it's a, pretty much the same opinion. So why do I have to keep getting pounded by this stuff and watching it? And I've noticed I spend about five minutes a day, and I quickly go through Yahoo, which is, don't get me wrong, it's not the best news, but it has multiple news sources in it. Yep. Um, you'll get Huffington Post, you'll get Fox, you'll get the Daily Caller. You get a little bit of everything, Yahoo itself. Um, and I just go through it real quick, and I go, okay, ISIS again, got it. Got George Clooney and his wedding. Okay, I get that. Okay, Kardashian's going to get that every day. And after a while, you just kind of see the pattern. And you go, what am I doing? You know, why do I even look at this garbage? I mean, literally, you cannot go through one day in your life if you watch TV or any, you know, like even radio and hear about the Kardashians. Now, talk about this because your background is in health, right? Yeah. So not just from a nutrition standpoint, just from a health standpoint. How much better off is a person, purely from a health standpoint, to not have the stress and the anger and the emotional turmoil of all these things that they actually can't do anything about anyway? Uh, it has a huge impact, and it's through uh, the hormone cortisol. You know, That's the stress hormone that we actually use to wake up in the morning. Um, and what that does is that stores belly fat, and it causes a lot of other hormonal imbalances and it actually takes years off your life. If you produce a lot of cortisol, you're not going to live as long as someone who is de-stressed and living a normal life or, quote, normal life. But, yeah, I mean, it, I've gotten trapped in this. And the difference you'll see is that you feel better. You sleep better. You're, you're actually nicer to people. And you have better relationship with your family, with your friends. What, what this stuff does is it does it stresses you out. It puts pressure on you, on or, or in your life, on things you cannot control. You have no control over them, and they should not affect you in one slightest bit.
but you let them eat at you. And you, if you do it day after day, like most Americans do, first thing you do in the morning, what do you do? You turn on the news channel and you get pissed off right out of bed. You know, you're angry already, mm-hmm. you know, and then you listen to the radio at work, get bombarded by more. So you come home, what do you do again? Turn on the TV, turn on news or whatever. And it's, it, it's almost uh, a never ending pounding is the way I look at the media world today. And for me, disconnecting from a huge part of it, I've seen a huge difference in my, in my life. I mean, I just realized, you know, I love sports, but do I need that $160, $180 cable and, you know, stupid internet bill? No, don't need that either. And, and it's kind of like, uh, it's multifaceted. They're, they're getting you into the system, keep you in this grind, keep you upset, keep you thinking the world's going to end, that everything's awful, there's nothing you can do about it, and then you're paying for it on top of it. What a brilliant yeah. marketing plan that is. Addict you to something that's doing harm to you and then make you pay large amounts of money for it. The the way I put it yesterday on the air was it's like the whole thing is one giant movie. And they know that half the people that come in the movie are going to laugh and half the people are going to cry. I don't give a shit which one you do as long as you show up, buy your ticket, and pay attention. right? Because as long as I get a reaction out of you, you're useful to me. Uh, I think that... What we're talking about, really, is what I've always considered the greatest weapon that the, 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 the citizen has against the tyrannical government, and that is apathy toward everything that they either cannot influence or does not affect them. You can't be completely apathetic because there are things you have to pay attention to, but most of it you don't affect, and, it, and it, you can't do anything. So it's not worth your time, and it is the primary control mechanism that they use. And I think that people that have been part of the system, prior military, people like myself that have been military, and in, in the corporate world, people like you that have been in the military and law enforcement world, as you are part of that control mechanism, you never see it. You're just a cog. Yeah. Once you extract, you actually see the space you occupied. And you go, that looks like a freaking cog. Gee, I used to spin around like that. Well, what was I connected to? And since you have a, a knowledge of that system, you know what you were connected to. So then you see the next cog, you go, well, what's that connected to? Well, what's that connected to? And what we have to always realize, and I always caution people with this, is they come into you know, the, the great libertarian anarcho awakening. Don't be too hard on the people that you know that won't listen to you because you wouldn't have listened to you five years ago. Exactly. And that's the hard part is to not to, – to understand the control – and, and to, to beat up on the system without beating up on the individual because most people are doing the best they can with what they have. And the deeper the programming, the, the harder it is to let go of. And it's scary. I mean, I talked about it yesterday too. Like the first time I took one of my geese out of its small cage and put it into a big cage, it freaked the hell out. There's too much freedom. <laughs> right? So freedom scary as shit to people at first. It, you know, and that is a really good point. And that is part of the health aspect too. I think as – as you grow and you realize that you have this newfound freedom, you do freak out. I know I did. I went, wow, I have more opportunities than I thought I had because I've been awakened. Mm. And now that overwhelmed me because I went, oh, shit, I can do whatever I want. I can, well, within reason. But you know what I mean? You go, I have all these opportunities that I never thought I had before. And it was, it's like, what do I do? And I think that's part of the evolution of, changing your life and yeah. taking the primal path is that you have to be prepared to have all these avenues open up in front of you and you're not going to have the answer. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. People always want a clear pinpointed answer and that just isn't life. 
Well, it's like that cartoon I sent you, right? Tell me, damn it, tell me which side to be angry at, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and people have to realize that nothing in life is for certain. And I mean, it's an overused phrase, but it isn't. And it, you you don't know until you go there. And what we're taught, though, we're put into this funnel of they're telling us exactly how it's supposed to be all the time. And don't ever get outside of this little funnel. And, and it's totally wrong. And once you get outside it, it's like, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Wasn't expecting that. Um, and, and yeah, it's it's interesting. And I would love to get on and sometimes speak about uh, what I saw on the inside about that. As far as the cogs in the wheel, my awakening in law enforcement was one day I just said, you know what? It doesn't matter whether I'm here or not. I am completely meaningless to this system. <laughs> if I'm gone. They just plug in another one. Exactly. I call it, it's called shark tooth syndrome, right? Sharks have all these rows of teeth, and the system is the shark. And and all of the people that are plugged into the system are the teeth. And when one is yanked out because it grabbed onto a seal or an orca or whatever, the shark doesn't even give a shit, and a new tooth just pops right back in there. And, and and when you realize you are that disposable, then, yeah, you think, like, well, am I going to devote the rest of my life to being something that can be so easily replaced? Yeah, and, yeah, you have no purpose at that point. I really – that's how I look at it. I mean, how are you going to affect the world or to make change or be self-satisfied if you're basically nothing in the system? I mean, you really are. <laughs> Yeah. And then that's how they want it. Unfortunately, that's how they want it today. And that's what I realized as well is they just want yes men. Yes men and women. Don't argue. Just do Don't it. argue with them, but argue with each other. That's, yeah. that's the Great key. Right? Yeah. You only have to, you know, most people only have the mental capability to truly be angry about one or two things at a time. So as long as I can take those one or two things you're angry about at any moment and redirect them to any group other than me – I got control over you. And if I can make them pissed at you at the same time, I got it made, you know. I call it the giant remote control. I got A and B. And if I push A, you get pissed off. I push B, your buddy gets pissed off. And as long as I can get a reaction out of you, I don't care which one you respond to as long as you respond. And when you do extract, all of a sudden, that whole weight comes off you. I think that what happens is first people realize, well, if I want to have freedom – then I have to be okay with that person over there doing something I don't think they should do, and I have to leave it alone as long as it doesn't hurt me or somebody else. I don't like that. right? But once they actually go, okay, wait a minute, what am I saying here? How stupid is that for me to feel that way? That I Because I, I'm not going to control them anyway. right? I can put a law in place or regulation or whatever. I'm really not going to control them. I, for all of the, the – you know, we have launched a multi-trillion dollar 30-year war on drugs, more drugs than ever before. God. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we've launched a war on poverty with trillions of dollars, more poverty than ever before. Right? So I, so I know I can't actually do that anyway. So as soon as you let go of it and go, okay, and then all of a sudden it's like this giant freaking weight. Holy shit. I don't have to worry about this stuff anymore. Awesome. Now, but like you said, then that's, that's kind of scary. Like, okay, now well, what, do I, what am I going to do? Yeah. And you got to find something actually productive, and you have to start doing something called creating. Right, but we have way too many people that are participating and not enough people creating things. And I think the more creation we get, the the further we move along. It just makes sense. Well, and I think that's what we're all trying to do is create this environment to where people can come into and and it's 
is we've talked about this before, is changing it from the inside out. You know, you can't go and bash your head against big government and fight them one-on-one. You're going to get crushed. Sure. What you do is you do what you do under the radar, and you just spread it out, and people will start to follow, and then things will change. I think the government is too unruly and too big to even think of changing at this point. I would love to be more positive on that, but nothing's going to change. We've, you know, Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter. And and what the only way you can affect that is to change your own life, do something that makes you happy. And it's always, uh, you know, it's always that, you know, saying, you know, when we were growing up or you're, you're someone says, just do what makes you happy. And you just go, oh, that's just a crock of crap. And then you get, you know, you hit 30s and 40s, you go, ah, I should have learned. I should have listened to that. You know, and I think it's very true. If you if you do what you enjoy, it's not work. You know, it just isn't. You can you work a 12 hour day doing something you enjoy. And it's near not nearly as stressful as working eight hours a day on something you hate. And I think that's where I found myself out. No, I won't speak for you, but I'm sure you were part of that, too, when you're in the corporate world is I just realized that this doesn't make me happy, and why am I doing it? Well, I'll tell you what happened to me. I was watching a video somebody sent me from Gary. It was a Gary Vaynerchuk video, his one at Web 2.0 conference in New York. And he gave this speech, and basically he started out, and his first opening line was, you know, if if you're miserable doing something, quit immediately, because life's way too short for that. And you can go just as broke doing what you love as you can doing what you hate. I almost got up and walked out, and I owned the company. <laughs> oh man! And I went, "Holy shit, I can't do this anymore." And I had I, at that point, I had to, I had to change my path. The fact that I was willing, based on one guy, and he's a he's a charismatic guy, but he's not that charismatic for God's sake. He just said the right thing at the right time that hit me the right way that made me think of walking out of my own company where I was paying myself a very good salary, by the way. Like, okay. That means that I am not happy. And yeah, I, and I, and I look at myself and at the time I was almost 300 pounds and I'm like, I'm overweight. I'm not healthy. I'm miserable. I'm not being a good husband, at least not to the level that I should. I, I, I can't do this anymore. And you got to find a new way. And it's never easy. No, but it's always worth it. And that's the thing too is people, um, we've been conditioned to, think that change shouldn't be uncomfortable. And I deal with this with clients and people in the health world all the time. I tell them, you know, if you're going to change your health, it's going to hurt. I mean, it's going to suck. Well, you've never done anything successfully that you haven't failed at first. Absolutely. From walking to pulling yourself off the ground when you were a kid and crawling, you know, to being able to crap in a toilet. Every single thing you've ever done in your life requires failure before you can have success. Yeah, and unfortunately, today's society, you know, everyone thinks they just – can be in a reality TV show and film themselves, and that's all you need to do and become rich. That's what life is about. And it's unfortunate. I mean, I think we have such lost our way in the educational system, and, and it, what it's done is it's stagnated entrepreneurship. I mean, what we should be teaching in schools is how to be an individual. Actually, I just read this article in Outside Magazine on unschooling. Yeah. Oh, what a great, great article. Who wrote? Was it the guy that was just on that wrote it, maybe? Hold on. Hold on just a sec. What was his name? Bennett or... God, I just had him on. I love Outside Magazine. There's some stuff in there that's a little goofy. Because I know he just had a big article out. Yeah. Why can't I remember his name? John... uh, 
I'm going through the thing right now. This is live podcasting at its core here. Uh, yeah, it is Ben Hewitt. That's it, Ben Hewitt. You had him on? When he was had- just on episode 1434 on September 25th. Oh, okay. God, I missed that one. I'll have to go back and catch up with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the article is just amazing. It hits home on so many levels. And I mean, it really actually wraps around what we've been talking about. Oh, of course it does. If you read this article, if you're outside looking in, you know, doing the grind or thinking about making change, and you read that article, you'll go, wow. Yeah, I've, I've been doing this all wrong. And to see how, you know, intelligent these kids are who are unschooled and the colleges they're getting into, if they choose to go to college, it's, it's pretty amazing. You know, what better? Yeah, and he makes a good point that it works for school and for people in business is we were never meant to be sat down and told, don't move and complete this task over this many hours. That's all you get to do. It's like, well, this sucks. Yeah, it's like, okay, now we got to put the kid on dope because he won't sit in a chair all day long. But I think we're actually at a point. We need a wrap, dude. We're at like 90 <laughs> minutes into this thing. But uh, I love having you on today. Tell people how they can learn more about you. Uh, hear your new show, which is out on YouTube right now, yeah. uh, and, and some other cool stuff. Yeah, my main website is still uh, primalpowermethod.com. That's where my products, uh, and, uh, books, and supplements are on. My videos are on YouTube forward slash uh, Primal Power Method. That's where uh, the last seven or so are all my off-the-grid uh, project ones. And also the Primal Show is on YouTube, which is YouTube. Uh, I think it's YouTube.com forward slash, sorry. Uh, the Primal Show. And that's where you can get all my stuff. And keep checking back because we got a lot of exciting projects. And I'll be renewing my off-the-grid videos next year when I get back up there. So it's going to be a continuing process. I'll continue to do these videos over years. So it's not just going to be one chunk and then done. This is going to go on for quite a while. I think that's good because I think people like to see the evolution of things. And I appreciate you being here uh, with us today. I'll make sure I have links to all of your uh, resources and sites and YouTube channel, etc. in the show notes for today's show. And with that, folks, this has been Jack Spearco today along with Gary Collins helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
Show you. 